0: Again, I just want to celebrate Easter. I think sometimes uh, as uh, as believers and sometimes as a church that we can blow by these amazing moments and not give God all the gratitude that he deserves. And so I just want to point back to what happened last week. And again, celebrate the number of volunteers. We don't talk about numbers at our church very often. Uh, And one reason is because I don't ever want you to think that that's all we care about is the numbers. We don't care. Uh, All we care about is you as people. And we recognize that each person is a number, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? And so last week, there were 943 people who worshiped with us in those three services last week. Nearly a 1,000 people came and worshiped Jesus in this building. And I'm just telling you, I believe that it was just God giving us insight into what's to come. Right? I don't believe it was just a one-off event, and what was demonstrated last Sunday is that there is a hunger and a passion for a move of the Spirit of God in our community, and I'm just praying and believing for even more. Last week was so emotional for Erica and I because it was exactly eight years ago last week that we became the pastors of this church, right? And so our very first Sunday, there's no pressure, right? Our very first Sunday as the pastor of the church was on Easter Sunday, Like Easter Sunday, eight years ago. And I reflected and I thought back of how amazing that service was eight years ago. But then to think about what we had last week and to see what God has done over the last eight years to celebrate the past, to rejoice in our present, and to dream about the future. To think about what God could do in the next eight years, in the next 16 years, in the next 24 years, in the next 32 years. Come on, somebody. That's what God wants to do. Oh, it was so good. So, again, I just one last time. There were There were so many... Complimentary—I don't. I do not that should not use that word. Uh, nice text messages, <laughs> people complimenting the staff last week, and my response to them was this: "Thank you, but honestly, we're nothing without the volunteers that served last week." And you just need to hear that. Like there are sometimes that this position gets celebrated more or the person playing the guitar, or the person singing, they get the credit or the glory for what happened. And I just want to tell you that all of us as a staff recognize that we are absolutely nothing without the saints being equipped to do the work of the ministry. And so again, just one last time, I I just have to say thank you. Thanks for using your giftings for the glory of God. And we'll just continue to look ahead. Last year, my wife and I visited the Village Church in the Dallas, Texas area. Pastor Matt Chandler preached this powerful message that was part of a series called Unearth. And as I heard it, I was like, we all need to hear this message. We all need to hear this series. And so I'm just gonna tell you over the next few weeks, we'll be taking his series and his messages and I'll be personalizing them for our context. But just wanna give you that heads up. If you wanna hear it preached better, you can feel free to uh, Sorry, that was free. I didn't say that in the first service. I don't know what happened. Uh, (laughs) Let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. This morning, we're going to look at verse number 8 first, and you can keep your Bibles open there, because later in the message, we will come back in and look at a few other verses from Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, in this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word and for the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask that over the next few moments that you would open up our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to understand what you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. PG, I want to thank you for your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I talk to you about what I'm going to be preaching about on a Sunday morning. and this past week, we did not talk about it, but yet you teed up this message so perfectly with the things that you shared. And so again, thank you for that. But now more than ever, we are living in a day where believers need to recognize that God wants to release you on a world in such a way that principalities and powers in this present darkness tremble. I'm going to say it again. Now more than ever, we are living in a day where believers need to recognize that God wants to release you in a world in such a way that principalities and powers in this present darkness tremble. And this series is meant to come alongside you and show you how that's possible. I have a deep desire that the principalities and powers of the present darkness would know your name. That's what God would have for you, and some of you are weirded out by that this morning. And I just want to tell you there's a story in the book of Acts when this demon speaks to these seven sons of Skeva, and they say, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? And I just want to say that I hope that all of us are walking in such a way aligned with the Spirit of God that if we come in contact with a demon that they wouldn't say, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but I don't know you. Instead, that demons, that the darkness, that the principalities of this world would know who you are because the Spirit of God dwelling within each of you. I want each of us to play such a role in understanding who and what you are that the principalities and powers say I know Jesus and I know you and I tremble at both of those names. In order for us to get there, we have to know whose we are and who we are in Christ. The Bible unpacks our identity at three different levels. And the first level that the Bible unpacks our identity is this, that you are a human being. You are a human being. In Genesis, it says that we were made in the image of God, and as such, we are distinct from all other created beings. And there are expectations placed on us by God that are not placed on any other creature. Every human being, everyone is equal in regards to dignity, value, and respect. And it's the foundation of how we as Christians should see almost all the issues that are raging in our day. This is the first level. The second level that the Bible unpacks with our identity is general identity. Your general identity is given by God and it has everything to do with what you do with Jesus. Your general identity is given by God and it has everything to do with what you do with Jesus. Everybody in this room and everybody listening online is either a child of God or a child of wrath. We're either a child of God or a child of wrath. That's our general identity. And for modern sensibilities, that's hard to to comprehend because some of you are like, well, child of wrath. I don't want to be a child of wrath. And I'll just say if you find yourself in this category, you made the decision to be a child of wrath, not God. You made that decision. You've decided that you make a better God than God. You've said that your desires, that what you want are primary in your life. And you've said, I don't care if there is a creator or not. I just want to do what I want to do. Romans chapter 1 tells us God's response to that type of attitude is to turn you over to do what ought not to be done. Christ has come into the world to save you from this, but it's your choice. And when you choose to be your own God, then you put yourself in opposition to the Creator. And I'll just tell you that that's not even a close match. So our general identity is that we are either children of wrath or children of God. We become children of God when we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And my prayer is this, is that everyone everywhere would want to become a follower of Jesus, That's my prayer. That's why we exist as a church to advance his kingdom in our community and around the world, right? It's God's desire that none should perish but that all would come to everlasting life. His desire is that everyone, everywhere, at all time would be followers of him. And so we have the identity, the first level of being human beings. The second is our general identity as either being children of wrath or children of God. And the third identity is this, which is our specific identity identity. Each of us have been created unique by God with a unique backstory, unique skills, and unique gifts that all come together to form you. And God is doing something special in your specific identity. Today we're going to focus more on the general identity piece, the child of wrath or the child of God. And I want you to think about it this way. This morning I have a button-up shirt. And there was a Sunday a couple of years ago where my wife sitting on the front row had this messed up look on her face the entire time while I was preaching. I mean, just messed up. And I'm like, what in the world did I say, woman? Like, was it that bad? Or is my preaching that bad this morning? What's going on? So as soon as first service was over, I was like, baby, what was going on? Your shirt was driving me crazy. Somehow my shirt wasn't even, right? And it was driving her nuts. And so I'm like worried the whole time that I've said blasphemy or something worse at the beginning of the message. And instead it was just my shirt wasn't wasn't laying like it should. I thought about this morning just for some of you to come out here with my shirt not buttoned right. Right? And just see the looks upon your face like to see if some of you would be a good friend and be like, hey, your shirt, you know? When you're a kid and you get a button-up shirt for the very first time and you have to put it on, I'll tell you what I did. I started at the middle. And how many know that when I started at the middle, it didn't line up right? And so it took my mom and dad teaching me how to line up the tails of the shirt. And once you line up the tails, then start with this button and come up. Or maybe some of you were taught that you start at the collar. And, uh, right, you know? That's why I don't wear ties. And then work uh, work. Work your way down. But here's the deal with our general identity. If we don't get this first button right, then everything else is going to be out of order. If I came out here and my shirt is not in order, the buttons are not in order, the shirt's going to look wonky. And our lives look no different when we mess up and when we mix up the order. So the general identity is like the first button on your shirt. And specific identity can only be known in light of general identity. This series is not going to address your self-esteem or be an attempt to make you feel good about yourself. With that said, when we think of specific identity, it's pretty wonderful. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's cool what God has done in each of you. And if we could see that and understand that the more we can understand general and specific identity, the more we come alive in this world and the more we step into who we are and what God has given us to do. We have a resource here at our church to help you discover your purpose. It's called Growth Track. Today, immediately following this service, we'll have Growth Track session number one. Growth Track session number one is all about... Our church. It's about the past and the present and the future. And then there's another session that Pastor Dan walks people through to help them discover why God has created them and how God has created them and the giftings inside of them. I would encourage you, if you've not gone through Growth Track, go through Growth Track. Even if you've been part of our church for some time and you've not had a chance to go through those assessments, I would encourage you to sign up for it and go through it. If you're going to be unleashed on the world to make trouble, you have to understand who and what you are. Trevor Wax wrote a book called Rethink Yourself. And in his book, he argues that there are two predominant ways that we answer the question who and what I am. Two predominant ways that we question who and what I am. And the first way is is the one that most of us in the room will be marked by. He said that we define ourselves by this. Number one, that we look in. Number two, that we look around. And then finally, that we look up. So the first thing is we look in, and then once I discover what's in there, then I look around to see if there are others who are like that, and then finally to look up. This way of understanding requires you to look inside yourself and find your deepest desires. And I'm just going to tell you these first two, uh, uh, first two formulas are off. There's a third formula, a biblical formula that we're going to look at in this message that I believe is God's way for us to identify who we are and what we are. There are problems with both of these. And so, again, with this order, looking in, looking around, and then looking up, requires you to look inside yourself and find your deepest desires. What do you most deeply want? What is the deep thing in your heart that your gut is saying, if I just had this, then I would be happy? According to Gallup poll 91% of Americans agreed with this statement that the best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. 91% of Americans said that the best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. So in this in this structure we look in. And so think about this, little Jonathan Bartholo, 9 years old, teenager Okay, what is my deepest desire? And once I have this desire, this is what I want, this is what's going to make me happy, then I'll look around for those who will celebrate that with me. Who believes this? Who also celebrates this? Who will affirm this? Who else will come around this and go, yes, that's the true you, that's you, that's who, that's the what? And once I have that, I'm not opposed to spirituality. I just look around and find spirituality that makes all that work. So I've got these deep desires within me. I find these people who share the same desires. We formed this community, and then we're still kind of feeling empty. And so we look spiritually, and we're like, what religion or where can I pick from here to add a little bit to this? And lastly, let's find this religion and sprinkle it on us and be spiritual people. And this is the prevailing and predominant view of our age. And everyone in this room is consistently and constantly manipulated and assaulted by this idea that you can have it all, trust your heart, go with your gut, be you, be the only you you can be. And this is the prevailing God of our day. And the whole system is set up to pull you in this direction. This is the mantra of our day, you be you. Live your best life. Nobody gets to tell you what to do. Follow your heart. You look inside and find what you most deeply want and you go get it. There are significant issues with this approach. And the first issue with this approach is that the whole project depends on you. The whole project depends on you. It all lands on you. And with that said, parents, I just want to encourage you to be involved in the spiritual development of your kids. It's a lot to put on a kid to say, hey, you structure your own moral reality. Why don't you go ahead and determine your meaning and your purpose? Yet this is what's being taught to our kids, and our kids are being bombarded by this message. Again, I'm so grateful for PG and Darlene this past Wednesday night. He did a parenting seminar. So much good feedback from it. It was recorded. So if you're like, ah, I missed it, but I want to hear what he said, then find him after service and he'll be able to direct your attention to it. But here was the topic on Wednesday it was the question of who's the boss? And some of you parents are like, well, I'm supposed to be the boss, but really the kids are the boss. And that's what he addressed, to restructure things where the children are no longer the boss of your house, but that you are. And so, again, parents, I just want to encourage you and urge you, please do not be passive when it comes to your kids' spiritual journey. Please don't be passive. Instead, engage with it. God has given us a responsibility to instruct our kids that God shapes identity, God shapes purpose, God shapes morality, not us. That's a good place to say amen. God has given us a responsibility to instruct our kids that God shapes identity, purpose, and morality, not us. Some of us have been trying to figure out and wrap our heads around why is everybody so angry and so anxious and so depressed? Why is this all happening? It's happening because of this. It's happening because if I look into my deepest desires and then I create my personhood based off of those desires so that if you disagree with my desires, you're actually assaulting my personhood. So are you tracking with me? So if I say that my deepest desire is this sexual identity or my deepest desire is this political identity and I say to you that that's going to lead you down a path of destruction, it's going to ultimately harm you and harm those around you, now all of a sudden I'm an oppressor and I'm not assaulting your desire, I'm assaulting you as a human. You want to know why everybody's so angry right now, why they're so lonely and depressed and anxious? It's because everything we're watching and everything we're listening to and everything is on our phones is going you, your desires, what you want, what you're after, chase after destiny. So if you're a teenager in this room or a young adult, you're being bombarded by this. Statistics tell us that we touch our phones 2,200 times per day. 2,200 times per day. You touch the phone, which you're doing 2,200 times a day, and the algorithm is set up to tell you that you're right, that you're good, to follow your heart, to get yours, to trust your gut, to go get it. And this has made us angry and lonely and depressed, and nobody can see it because we're too busy following our hearts, our own hearts to our own destruction. So the first point. Of, of the problem with this is that the whole project depends on you. The second is it's impossible for you to define yourself without comparing yourself to others. It's impossible to even get a sense of the world without looking around. And just like looking in first, you still have to look around to see what that looks like, what that manifests as. And the third flaw I'll mention with it this morning in this looking in framework and looking around and looking up is, three, our desires are deceptive. Our desires are deceptive. If, if you're honest with yourself this morning, do you even know what you want? The reality is we have competing desires, and you and I can't have them both, and we can't have it all. Here's an example. I want to go as fast as my truck will permit me to go on the highway, and I still want a good driver discount. How many know that those are competing desires? I can't have both because I'm going to get caught. There is no invisibility shield that I can put around my truck to go 100 miles per hour down 218 on my way to Cedar Falls. It's just not going to happen. That state trooper or that Janesville police officer is going to pop me, and I'm going to get pulled over, and I'm going to get a ticket, and my good driver discount is out the window. How many know what I'm talking about? Those are competing desires. We can't have it all. Your desire tells you that if you accumulate or achieve or accomplish X, Y, and Z, then you'll be rich or respected or revered. And many of you have experienced that that's a huge lie. And here's the deal again. I just want to say it to you because I'm not confident that everybody in this room has ever been told this. And it's this, that you cannot have it all. You can't have it all. And I say it because some of you are trying to have it all, and you're exhausted, and you're frustrated, and you're angry. And I'm just saying, quit trying to have it all. You cannot have it all. So how am I supposed to form who I am and what I am based on my desires that are constantly changing, that are constantly in competition with one another? And I just want to keep saying to you, this is bombarding us every day, every day. This thought of you be you, don't let anybody get in your way, trust your heart, just do it. The idea that any external pressure or external value system is somehow oppressive, we're being bombarded with these things. When we go back to specific uh, identity, there are really beautiful things in you and there are amazing things in you. God has put some things in you that are so stunning and overwhelming that if you could ever believe it about yourself and see it clearly, that you would, then you would be able to cause the kind of trouble that I'm talking about this morning. This is not all bad. We have to be aware of it. We have to be aware and acknowledge that even those of us who are children of God are pulled by this framework of looking in, looking around, and then looking up. We're influenced by this, and we're being completely manipulated, constantly being manipulated by this idea of looking in, around, and then up. It's important that we understand that that's what's happening. So every time we see an explosion online over political things or spiritual things, anytime you see the roar of anger and rage out there, you need to remember it's born in this space right here of this framework. Because if you challenge someone's desires, you're saying, I'm less than human and I can't have that. And that's what's happening right now with the division in our nation. And there's some ideologies that are demonic that are at play right now. And I'm telling you that what we're witnessing with the division in our church and in our nation is is tied to this reality that my desires are uppermost. And I need to find people who agree with that and reinforce it. And then I'll sprinkle a little religiosity on top so that I feel some kind of, some sort of transcendent spiritual connection. And so the majority of the Western culture discovers who and what they are by looking in and then looking around and then finally looking up. But there's a second structure and a second framework that uh, is born by, large, uh, by and large in non-Western culture and it's this, to look around and then to look up and then to look in. And so what they say is that the community has social constructs and belief that bear its weight on the individual. So the individual isn't looking inside of themselves to determine who they are. Instead, they're looking to the community. Uh, they're looking around from and receiving from their community who they are. That this is what we do. We make A's or you become a doctor or you become a lawyer because you represent our family and, uh, and you're going to make our family look good. You're not going to bring shame onto our family. And there's an immense amount of pressure by the community For the individual to be formed by the desires of what's best for the community rather than for the individual. In fact, the individual only looks at what their desires are or looks inward after uh, they check with the greater community. There's some good in this framework, but it makes a crummy God in regards to how we define who and what we are. There's a couple of issues with this framework. Number one, the community uses shame to bring about conformity. And the gospel and, good news and the good news of Jesus is the antithesis of shame. Another issue that can happen in this kind of framework is enshrined inequality. It's just a matter of fact. So if you've ever heard of what's called the caste system, the caste system is you're born into a certain level and you don't escape from that level. What you were born into is how you will finish your life. And you're not allowed to move from one level to the next. And if you try, then you're brought right back down. This is what happens in that framework. So what we're seeing here is that looking in and looking around and then looking up is a flawed structure and a flawed system. And then looking around and then looking up and then looking in, we can see how that sacrifice for the greater good of the community also doesn't get us there. So it's two failed systems. So how does the Bible direct us to define who we are and what we are? I'm glad you asked. This is a way That leads to life. This is a way that all of us should solve all of the best questions in the world should be solved by looking to see what God says about it in his word, right? And so what God says about is, as we look at identities this morning, is this, that rather than looking in, around, and then up, or looking around, and then up, and then in, instead that we would just make it real simple. If you're taking notes, it's two words. Are you ready for it? You on the edge of your seats? Look up. Look up. That's how the Bible would help us determine who and what we are is just to look up. When we look up, the around and in takes care of itself. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk a lot about the around and in and in after we get the general identity set. Because remember, this is about the buttons. And if we get the first one right, then the rest of them will, will line up. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, here's what we hear about ourselves. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest Of mankind. Do you see what's happening in this passage? This passage is arguing this that to look in and find the desires of your body and your mind and then to live that out of the desire makes you more like an animal and less like a human. So, this idea for you to trust your heart and follow your gut and you do you actually leads you more to being an untrained dog that digs into the trash that can't obey but is fully immersed by its compulsions rather than making you more like the image bearer that God created you to be. And so you look around and you see the animal nature of humanity in our day. You see the brokenness and anger and the violence and it's because we're acting more like animals than human beings. And that's what happens when you trust your gut or go with your heart or follow your desires Ephesians chapter 2 is arguing then that there's this great thing that happens to us and in verse number 4 there's this conjunction of the word but in verse number 4 but God being rich in mercy with the great love with which he loved us made us alive so there's this transfer of you're not an animal you're not going to be a child of right, wrath I'm gonna make you alive in Christ and then we get the process by which that happens in verse number eight. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And then there are a couple of qualifiers, and this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So how are we rescued from living by our desires or going with our gut or trying to define the who and what I am by the first framework? Well, we're made alive, that's how. We're made alive. We are turned into children of God. And this is where it just demolishes both frameworks by grace through faith. Again, we look at these two qualifiers. The course, first qualifier for how grace through faith works is how, to, how you get to define who and what you are is that it's not done via human initiative. He says it right here in the text. This is not your own doing, which means you're not saved because you took the journey to look inward, You didn't look down into your heart and go, oh, wow, I, I need to do this to define myself. I need to give an authority to something bigger than me or outside of me and follow that external authority. That's not what you did. Instead, God gave you grace, and then you took a step of faith, and even that faith was given by God, and that begins the process of sonship and daughtership. It's not of our initiative, which means it's not about looking in. It's not by our works. It's not by looking around. Instead, you are not self-created. You are God-created. You are not self-defined. The work is way too big for you. You are defined by the creator. And so here's this great verse. Again, remember in Ephesians, remember we were dead, but now we're alive. And now 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God and so we are, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Here's what you can't take. From me, My wife, Erica, could leave me, and I'm still a child of God. My kids could hate me, and I'm still a child of God. The economy could crash tomorrow, and I'm still a child of God. I'm not defined by my preaching. I'm not defined by what I was or what I currently am or will become. Instead, I am a child of God. That's been given to me. I didn't create that. I didn't find that. I didn't discover that. What God says about me that's most true is that I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was once dead, and now I am alive. God is for me; He is not against me. There is no condemnation for me because His grace is sufficient for me. So we look at verse number ten. I just want to show you where we're going in this series. The worship team, come on up. It says, "For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus." For good works, And we don't do good works so that we can look in and feel better about ourselves. We don't do good works so that we can look around and feel better about ourselves and what we've done. Instead, we do good works out of the overflow of what Christ has done in us. What does our sonship and the Spirit of God dwelling inside of me lead to in regards to good works? Good works don't lead to us achieving salvation. I don't do works to be a child of God. I am a child of God. And as he grows grace and faith within me, then good works become part of who I am. These good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These good works aren't about our self-esteem. It's not about you looking inward to see how awesome that you are. And I'll just say this as your pastor. I think it's amazing what God has done in each of you. I love to see what God has done in you. There are some really amazing things. But what this is about is about us looking up and being blown away by this fact that we have been created by a creator and we've been handed an unshakable identity. Every sorrow in life has been redeemed and every victory has been put in its right place. And so I'll conclude with this. There are two things. One, If you're a Christian, I don't want you to pretend like the pull of this framework isn't on you all the time. 2,200 times a day, you're told that your desires are who you are, that your desires are who you are. 2,200 times a day, almost every movie you watch, the music you listen to, they're forming this. The stuff we're letting our kids watch, they're forming this, trying to reinforce this idea that your desires are who you are. So why do you think when we bring up questions about politics or about life or sexuality, the whole world flares up like you just tried to kill them? It's because if their desires are their personhood, you actually just did according to their framework. And it's just a framework that's enslaving everybody. And so here's my invitation this morning is I want to invite you into the good work of unearthing these things in you. This morning we've covered general identity and I hope that you're able to go. I am a child of God. I know that I've trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior and it's best in this moment by grace through faith. I'm following after him. He's not done with me yet and I'm on the road with him. And then I wanna to say to those of you who are unbelievers in the room this morning, if you're not a Christian and you're like, oh man, I, I might be a child of wrath, but you say, I don't wanna do anything with Jesus. I just wanna do what I want to do. I'm just going to warn you that Jesus is going to let you do that. And some of you are like, that's, that's awesome because that's what I want to do, but I just want to tell you what a scary place to be in. What a scary place to be in that we would be unleashed to fulfill every evil desire in our heart with nothing holding back. And that's what Romans chapter 1 tells us. that we will be released to do what ought not to be done. And so for those of you who've determined that that you're a better God than God, to be a child of wrath is to, in this moment, go, I'm just gonna do whatever I wanna do. And and I'm just telling you, it's terrifying. And some of you think uh, the wrath of God is hurricanes or earthquakes or tornadoes or cancer or whatever else it might be, but it's God actually saying, if that's what you want, I'll turn you over to pursue it and i've said it multiple times sin and it doesn't originate with me sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go keep you there longer than you ever wanted to stay and cost you more than you ever want to pay and so i'm pleading with you today to come out of that identity of a child of wrath today and become a child of god i'm ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and by virtue of that means that you are a child of wrath, and you say, today I want to move from being a child of wrath to being a child of God. I want to enter into a relationship with him. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but through life circumstances or whatever happened, you've turned your back on him, and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. Just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you. You say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room. One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. Let's all stand. Here's what I'm going to do. If if you raise your hand in person or online, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I have messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my Savior. Be my King. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. You prayed that prayer i would encourage you to text the word yes to 319-250-8998 again text the word yes to 319-250-8998 we want to encourage you in the decision that you've made in the journey that god wants to take you on we leave time at the end of each service for another worship song as well as for people on our prayer team to come to the front and they're going to be on both sides and i would encourage you if you've come today needing prayer for anything that as soon as this song was start that you would step out of your seats this morning and that you would come forward for prayer. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.